The sermon text this evening is Matthew 6, 9. I'm going to read that a little bit later. What I'd like to do now is to read a few passages uh, from John, the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, and then John 16, uh, verses 23 through 28. So John chapter 1, reading verses 14 through 18, and then turning to chapter 16 and reading verses 23 through 28. John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And then chapter 16, verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Our sermon text this evening is on a few words that have found the Lord's Prayer very familiar to, to all of us. Matthew 6, 9, where our Savior says, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. As we look at these verses this evening, there are three things I want us to consider. First of all, the Father, and then our Father, and then our Heavenly Father, as we try to appreciate what it is that our Savior is teaching us with regard to how we ought to pray. And we begin with this question, how is it that we can call God our Father? And the answer is, this is who the Son revealed. The Son revealed the Father And in fact, this is why he came. We read these verses from John chapter 1, this prologue of the Gospel of John, where it says, No one has ever seen God. But the only begotten who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And it comes in the context of a contrast made between Moses and Christ. Moses, uh, the law came through Moses, it says in verse 17, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And in one sense, what it's setting up is that Christ has come, and in Christ we see what Moses could not see. And through Christ we receive what Moses could not give. And the point it's making about the word become flesh about Jesus Christ is this, that no one has ever appeared like him. Nobody has ever been sent quite like this. No one has ever seen God as he is, because no one has ever seen God in his unveiled, glorious presence. Not even Moses. 
Moses saw the back of God. He was not allowed to see his glory, lest he die. But it says here, the only begotten Son of God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And that word, make known, uh, speaks to us uh, in such a way that what it's trying to say is that he has explained God to us. This is the one who can describe or interpret. He can give us a clear picture. This is the one who can make, uh, give a full account, an accurate account to God. And he's the only one who can. He's able to reveal the Father because he's been with him from the very beginning, as it says at the beginning of John chapter 1. So that's what the Son does. He reveals, he explains, he describes, he shows who the Father is. And what the Son reveals about the Father, uh, among other things, is that he is one who loves. In fact, we could say that the whole scheme of salvation flows from the love of the Father. John Owen made this point. Without the revelation of Christ and his saying these things, we would be tempted to think of the Father as only full of wrath. But that's that's not the case. First John 4, 9 says, And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the love of God. And the gospel begins at this very place. The Father's love. That love prior to the sending of the Son. That's the measure of love, of a father who is willing to send the one that he loves. That's what Paul says in Romans eight thirty-two that God is for us, and we know this because he did not spare his own son. It's illustrated for us in Genesis 22, where Abraham did not hold back his only son, the son that he loved, Isaac, from God. And God says, now I know that you fear me, and God has done exactly the same thing. He has not withheld his only son, the son that he loves from us. And now we know that he loves us. Now the son also came to reconcile us to God. We were enemies and God has reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, as we learn in Romans 5. And that reconciliation assumes a conflict. There's a need to restore something that's been broken. There's a need to resolve something that is amiss. That's what Christ came to do, to make peace and to bring reconciliation between God and us. He died our death. He paid the penalty of our sin. He exhausted the wrath of God. And all those who believe in Christ are forgiven of their sins and they have peace with God. And it has this result that God is no longer first and foremost our judge. That God is first and foremost our Father. He's the Father of mercies. And all this because the Son is our Savior. And so it's through Christ that we have access to God as our Father. And so we begin again by asking this question, who is the one to whom we pray, and how do we pray? And later on, you can look at the Shorter Catechism, number 100, that talks about this. What do we, what are we actually praying when we pray uh, to our Father in heaven? And it says two things, that we come and we, we approach God, but we also approach him uh, with reverence, but we approach God, our Father, with confidence. It's both these things, keeping both these things in mind, that we're always speaking to the one who is God, and therefore we come to him with that reverence that he deserves, but we're coming to God as our Father. And we should come to him in that confidence that we have of his love for us. And this is important to keep in mind, because on the one hand, there are some people that pray probably too irreverently, too informally. 
they confuse this ability to come to God directly and informally for casualness, or perhaps to pray too flippantly. But on the other hand, and this is what I want to speak about, there are those that are frightened. And they merely pray to God, but they're not thinking of God as their, as their father. And so they're frozen in fear, immobilized. There's almost something like dread. And in their hearts, they approach an unbelief, thinking he's going to punish me. He doesn't love me the way that he, he loves his other children. And of course, that falls right into the lies of the devil, who is telling us constantly, your father is angry with you. Your father in heaven is implacable. He's just waiting to crush you because you're such a failure. And so what do we do? We draw back. We do not pray in faith. We draw back out of suspicion and fear, and this grieves the Father. The irony of this is that we plead with our non-Christian friends when we witness to them, and we say, stop running from God and go to him. And if you go to him, you'll find one who loves you and who forgives you. You'll find mercy with him and peace and acceptance and, and love. But we don't listen to our own advice. We sin against God, and what do we do? We run away from him. We don't believe in his love. We fix in our minds upon his terrible majesty or the severity of his justice when we ought to be focusing upon his love, the love that he promises to his children. The Father loves you. He doesn't need to be convinced to love you. He doesn't need to be convinced to give you good gifts. In this passage we read earlier from John 16, you'll notice what it says. Christ says, up to this point you've not asked anything from me by the Father. Ask and, and I'll, I'll get it for you. I'll ask him. But there'll come a day when there's one thing you will not need to ask for and I will not ask the Father for. He says, I'm not saying that I'll need to ask the Father on your behalf. And isn't that strange that, that Christ says, I'll, I'll ask the Father for you, but on this one thing. And what is it that he's addressing? It's love. And what Christ is saying, I don't need to ask the Father to love you. He already loves you. And he loves you because you love me and because you believe in me. And that was important for him to say to the apostles. The apostles had gotten to know Jesus over three years. And they were fully confident uh, in his patience, in his tenderness, in his love, and his concern for them. They did not have that same confidence in the Father. Think of what Philip says in John 14. Show us the Father. And what does Jesus say in response? To see me is to see the Father. You've seen him. And so Christ is saying, I don't need to beg the Father to love you. I don't need to change his mind. We agree. And you see, the Father and the Son are one in will. And they want the same things. They agree on the same things. They, they promise the same things. They do the same things and they love the same things and the same people. And so it brings us back to this fact that Christ came to reveal the Father and he came to reveal to us a loving heart. It's interesting in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, we have all these exhortations and six times there the, the title Father appears and Christ says you don't need to be anxious about these various things. Why? Because your Father cares for you. He knows that you need these things. He says, go to the secret place and pray. Your Father is already waiting there to, to hear you pray to Him. 
It's the Father. And that's who Christ came to reveal. It's the Father that is the fountain of and the cause of the gospel. It's the Father who predestines us in love, Ephesians 1 says. It's the Father who sent his Son in love. It's the Father who uh, freely and graciously adopts you and me into his family. And Christ is saying, do not be so troubled. Be assured the same fellowship you have with me, you have with the Father. You have access to this Father through Christ. Let me put it this way. God is your Father because the Son is your Savior. But notice that it doesn't say in our text, the Father in heaven. It says, our Father in heaven. In fact, you never see in the Lord's Prayer, me or mine or I. All you see is our and us. And that's significant. It's meant to give us perspective and to remind us as we pray, that we pray our Father because it's pointing to the fact that you and I are part of the family of God. We have been incorporated into the household of faith, and we have become part of this family like everyone else. And there's only two ways you can join a family. You're either born into it or you're adopted into it. And for the Christian, we have we have both of these. We're born into this family because we've been born from above, or born again, born by the Spirit, John 3, 3. Unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what has happened for the Christian. The Holy Spirit has given to us this new heart uh, that we would cast ourselves upon Christ. But it's also true that we've been adopted. This is that act of God's free grace. It's a change in status. It's a change in life. It's being transferred from one family to another. Galatians 4.4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son so that we might receive the adoption of sons. God is our Father. We've been brought into his family. But that our Father also points to the fact that we, all of us, are a family. And it reminds us of all these responsibilities that are given to us as a family in the New Testament, that none of us is to serve in isolation. In fact, we're told to love one another, to serve and forbear and forgive and accept and comfort and greet and welcome one another, to encourage, exhort, admonish and teach and instruct and build up one another, to confess sin to, to speak the truth to, to live in peace with, to be kind to, to good, do good to, to show hospitality to, one another, to have fellowship with one another, one another, to pray with one another, to pray for one another. And sometimes it's important to remember that for, for some Christians, this is the only family they have. When I was a pastor in Philadelphia, there was a Westminster student from Mexico, and she became a member of our church, and to listen to her story was remarkable, that when she came to Christ, she was literally physically removed from her home in Mexico until she brought her brother to faith and her father to faith. Then she was welcomed in. But for that period of time, her only family was a church. There was another young lady in our church in Philadelphia, and I was with my family. We dropped her off, and one of my children, who is just at that right age where they say everything on their mind, said, why is she so needy? And I said, because we are all she has. We are her family. And Sunday is her favorite day. It reminds us that we are to pray for this family. 
you and I are never isolated from one another's needs. We have this responsibility, not just to remember each other, but to pray for one another. Even a Christian who is confined and chained in a cell, like Paul, can pray for family. And the family can pray for them, as we ought to do. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians, to be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. And I'm sure many of you are praying for our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, in the North Korea, in the Sudan, in Indonesia, in India, in China, and other places. It's our Father. We pray as a fellowship. We pray with other Christians. We pray for other Christians. We pray to God our Father through the Son who is our, our Savior. But notice what else it says here. It says, Our Father in heaven. The Lord's Prayer is meant to give us perspective in a number of ways. It's a prayer that, that has this uh, heavenly mindset that saturates this prayer. And this is one of those places where we see it from the very, very beginning. It's meant to give us perspective that our access is not just to a father that, that terribly understates it. Our access is to our father in heaven. And what it's telling us is that if your father is in heaven, if your savior is in heaven then that means your life is in heaven. Just like your journey's end. Your life's meaning, its purpose, right now, its very center in its heart, is in heaven. That's the destination of your person one day, that, one day that ought to be the destination of your prayers right now. That's what we're praying. And so what Christ is doing is he's encouraging us to see ourselves as the Father in heaven sees us right now. And your Father in heaven, our Lord tells us in other places, is waiting. He's not just able to help, he's ready to help. Willing to help. And this is so important when all the world is hard and cold. When no one else cares. When no one else will listen. When no one else has time. When no one else seems to love you, here is the one who does. Here is the one who is always tender, always compassionate, always ready, always has time. It's your Father in heaven who is saying, I love you, I will listen to you, I will accept you, I will stay with you, and everyone else runs away. And he welcomes you into his presence all the time. And he says, just ask me anything. Tell me everything that is upon your heart. Tell me all of your concerns. Pour out all your heart to me, all of your hurts. Don't hold back. Tell me all of it. I'll not turn you away. I'll not turn a deaf ear. This is the Father that Christ has revealed to us. To see the Father as he is. The Father of love. His heart is wide open to us. And what Christ is kind of saying to us by implication is, don't be content to live at a distance from him. Run to him and trust in his love for you. And love him in return. That's what communion is. That's what fellowship is. It means to love in response. This is an amazing truth, and yet it's an important one that we need to cling to, that your Father in heaven, he loves you, but he also wants you to love him. That's the way it works. 
It's a mutual concern. It's a mutual love. And for this, we need to let the light of God's truth and his grace come in and, and melt those doubts in our hearts about his love for us. We need to become awestruck again and again with how wide and long and high and deep is his love for us in Jesus Christ, that it is a love that is better than life. We are to come and to drink deeply of this of this fountain of, of, of grace, which is a foretaste of heaven, that is, it's free, it's infinite, eternal love. And to know this, that all of the Father's thoughts about you, all of them, every single one of them, are thoughts of kindness toward you. All of his plans are to cause all things to work for your good. This is what fills his mind and his heart and his plans. And so you are to seek him with all of your heart and you will find him waiting and willing to know his love and to embrace that love, to set all of your heart upon it, to be filled with it. He's your father in heaven and heaven is open to you right now. Your father is there and you need to seek him and to seek him now. God is our Father, because heaven is our home. That's what our Lord tells us in John 14, too. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Christ makes many promises to us, and one of those promises is that he will return for us to take us. Not just to heaven, but to our Father. That's what family is. Family is about where we belong. It's it's about belonging in our Father's house. We are God's children, and we need to dwell in our Father's house. That's where we belong. And Christ is saying, there's a room for you there. In fact, that's why... He went away, he told his disciples, to prepare this place. And for something to be prepared that speaks to the fact that plans are being made, there's something intentional and thoughtful about this, that everything is being made just right. And it's not just the intentionality, it's how personal this is. It's profoundly personal. What does it mean for someone to go ahead of you? And somebody who knows you well, who knows your needs, who knows what you prefer, and to make everything just so. And Jesus says, that's where I'm going. And that's why I'm leaving. To prepare that place for you. Because what Christ is saying, your place is with me, and it is with your Father in heaven. That is your home. And you see, that is meant to put things into perspective for, for us. It's, it's to help us to see the future, but it's also to see our life right now. It's, it's meant to help us to see ourselves right now. And to show us what we mean to him and that we belong to him. That he's prepared a place for you and it's kept for you. It's safe because it's in the Father's hands. It's your home. It's beyond the reach of danger. It's a place prepared for you by the Almighty God who is your Father. So Christ will come again for us. And we need to appreciate how intent and how bent. He is upon this very thing to bring us home. If Christ fulfilled all righteousness for you, if he suffered and he died for you, if he rose from you, if he rules over all things for your benefit, 
that when Christ says, I'm coming again, I will take you to be with me, he means what he's saying. He's proven already that he will do whatever it takes to save you. He's already proven that. And it's as if he says to us, if I have to suffer on the cross, if I have to rise from the dead, if I have to conquer every enemy and put all rule, authority, and power and dominion under my feet, if I have to shake the very heavens and the earth, then do not be troubled. Be assured, there is a place for you. And I've done everything necessary for you to have your place there and to make your home there. Christ is preparing a place for you in heaven. It's with your Father. And the question this evening is, do you believe this? Do you believe that? If you believe the Son is your Savior, then God is your Father. And heaven is your home. Let's pray.